All right, our scripture reading is the entire chap, uh, chapter 13 of Revelation. Um, well, this is another uh, weird chapter, so hang on. You ready? Here we go. Uh, this is entitled The First Beast, starting at verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on his horns and blasphemous names on his heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If, everyone, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of saints, of the saints. Now this is on the second beast. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. It also causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. This is the word of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, great uh, New Year's text there, but I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas celebration. Um, we have our families this afternoon, and the great thing about New Year's is uh, it's like a demarcation in our culture to like, you know, take a pause, take stock. What did last year happen, and what can we learn from that? It makes us get, I don't know, perspective. 
And the perspective we learn from the past is great. We can learn from that. The great thing about the book of Revelation and what we're going through this year, through the series on this, it's not you're just learning from the past. You're learning from the past, the present, and the future all at the same time. So that's pretty powerful because this is a, a vision of all of those things. So this new year, as we lean into this, I don't know if 2022 is a <laughs> one you want to forget, which I know uh, some things I definitely want to forget, but there's this, well, there's this new hope for the new year, right? But what is the hope we really should have, and where does it come from? This book of Revelation, what do you think? It's been, uh, it's weird, isn't it? It's got a lot of uh, imagery and symbolism, and it's a vision. It's not like God just saying things to us. We have to interpret it. And at first blush, it freaks you out a little bit, right? Like, whoa, we're, this is so different. This is, this is weird. And I just told you before that this is the most hopeful book of the Bible. And you're like, really? <laughs> the most hopeful book of the Bible? The answer is yes. This is the book that describes the past, present, and future nature of the kingdom. That last week in, in 12, that Satan was cast out of heaven. He has no more authority to say anything bad about any of us and our sin because they were taken care of. And he hates that. Now, I did watch the sermon last week of Luke, and I will admit he was a little too happy, I think, about the whole, you know, birth uh, narrative within Revelation. And he did brag about this other theologian that he highly uh, admires calling him out like, I bet nobody in any church is reading Revelation 12 on Christmas. And of course, Luke's like, oh yeah, we are. You know, we're probably the only church maybe in the world who's spending this much time on Revelation and doing this much of a deep dive. Why would we do this? Well, to prepare us for this battle that we're all in. And I think that's one thing that's coming out of this is that, well... The cosmic war between God and Satan, done. It's over. Now the war has come to us. And it's not fun. Now I did, I put an image up here. Um, so I had a sermon prepared for last Sunday. I was fully prepared to give it. Flight was delayed. Uh, so Christmas Eve, I compelled a small congregation of my wife and children uh, to, <laughs> to go, I, I cannot, I, can I at least do part of this? They're like, okay, whatever. So this is a chapel, a Catholic chapel that was on the resort. And they see the life-size nativity back there. It's kind of cool. Um, you know, I thought, why not? I mean, I'm probably going to be the only, only LCMS pastor who's going to preach a Christmas Eve service at a Catholic chapel anywhere. But this is my very first Christmas Eve a sermon I've ever given. You know, I'm always the guy who's like, you know, who's left? Oh, Petrock, let's have him do it. You know, it's like, so I'm like, hey, I'm going to preach on Christmas Eve. And my kids are super excited about that. You know, they, but it was more like a Bible study. They asked questions and it, it was fun. So I thought, you know what, a good place to start today would just recap a couple of things from last week because this is a continuation of this war that we're talking about. So in, in Revelation 12, 4b, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour her. Remember, Satan was there. All right, here comes the kid. I'm taking him out. 
Oops, that didn't work. All right, I'm taking out mom. Nope, that didn't happen either. And the dragon, who is Satan, gets angry in verse 17. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, the church, on, whose, on, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Remember earlier I, I got to preach to say there was no sea in heaven? Remember yeah, that's all right. Well, there's no sea in heaven. So he's standing on the earth. He's been cast on earth. He's standing on the sea, and he's going to hearken to beasts to do his will to bear out against, well, the church. All of you who call God the Father, we all do, right, could call the church their mother. You've all been birthed through the church. When you were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that was something on the outside. You were reborn through the water and the word, and now you are part of the kingdom. This is the gift of Christmas, right? Now, Satan's angry, and I love what Luke said last week about this. So, well, what happens when a, a tyrant loses? He's got no hope. He's going to lose the war, right? He knows it's lost. So what's he do? Kill the hostages. He's coming after us. And this text shows, well, how he's going to do it. So he's going to do it in two ways. Beast of the sea represents the authorities, the political class. Anybody who's an authority over you, that earthly way that the church gets attacked and oppressed. So I'll call it politics. <laughs> the other way, the beast of the earth is the one who comes through the church and tries to deceive from within the church. We'll call that religion. So, you know, you all had wonderful conversations over Christmas, and what are the two things you're not allowed to talk about? Politics and religion. So if you don't, if you're like, hey, what'd you guys learn about in your sermon today? I don't know, we just talked about politics and religion, you know. But do you notice how sometimes people get really um, emotional <laughs> when you start talking about these things? Especially someone who disagrees with you. So this idea that we would be oppressed by the authorities on earth. We live in America. We got it pretty good. We are well aware of martyrs around the world who do not. Their governments literally kill them for being Christians. And in John's day, this would have been Nero. They were killing Christians. This was the early church was being martyred being killed because of their faith. The authorities were against them, opposed to them, but they maintained faith until the end. Now this beast that describes is a, it's another description of the one from Daniel 7. And I'm assuming when Luke does Bible study, he's gonna dig really deep into a lot of those things. But what's even worse, I think, than the government may oppress us or condemn us for our beliefs, or try to keep us from, I don't know, doing what we want to do. A worse threat from the government, or from politics, or from the world, is when we start putting our hope in those institutions. It's a dangerous thing to say, you know what? If we just get this government thing right, we're going to be all good. No, we're not. <laughs> not even close. 
Now, I'm thankful that we have good government that allows me to stand up here and say these words to you without being threat of being killed. I've been to El Salvador where they shot Romero because he, you know, said some things and they killed him while I was doing communion. These, these things do happen around the world, but we're not here, not yet, right? But I think it's good to know the more deceptive thing to be careful of is that we would put our faith in earthly things. Now, it describes that the beast, no one can stand up against it. That's right. There is nothing you and I can do to resist that beast and overcome him using earthly methods. We do not wage war against flesh and blood. Our war is spiritual, and that war has been won. But that doesn't mean here and now in the flesh we combat in an earthly way. In fact, there's what did it say? Resistance is futile. <laughs> do not even attempt. What are Christians commanded to do? We are supposed to uh, even mark, she obeys God rather than man, Acts 5, 29. She turns the other cheek, Matthew 5, 29, in Romans 13, 1 through 10, because she is not called to wage an earthly war, but a spiritual war, Ephesians 6, 10 through 22. And how long is this war going to go on? 42 months. You're like, hey, it's been a little longer than 42 months. Remember, 42 months is symbolic of the church age. This is some, and we are still in it. It's not forever. It's a long time. But this is the age that we're in. All right? So we're engaged in a spiritual battle. And what better way to engage in a spiritual battle is to have someone like me or some other religious leader mislead you all. That's dangerous, isn't it? Satan will use the beast of the earth. The Antichrist will come through the church and mislead people from the gospel. And there's been many Antichrists. I'm going to point to two things. John is the only one who uses this word, Antichristos in the Greek. He's the only one who uses that word in his writings. And I'm going to use, I'll read one of them here. But Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So there's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. And another from 1 John 2, 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. We are in the end times. We have continued to be in the end times. Jesus was the beginning of the end. During the Reformation, Luther called the Pope the Antichrist. Well, then that, well, the end of the world didn't come and that Pope died. Well, then he said, well, the office of the papacy, religious leader, right? Deceiving people to trust in their works instead of the gospel. I got a good work. This is from, for those of you that are into reading the Book of Concord, uh, this is from the um, Small Called Articles. The Small Called Articles hold that the Pope has clearly shown himself as Antichrist, since he exceeds even Turks and Tartars in keeping people from their Savior. Okay, so that's a 1500s way of describing the Antichrist. But there's, as John says, there are many, many antichrists, anyone who is opposed to Christ and his gospel proclamation and his message 
many antichrists, and we're told they come from within the church. This is why it's good to be part of a confessional church, which you are part of. We have a rule and a norm and a standard by which I and Luke and anyone who preaches and teaches around here are held to. We make mistakes. We screw up. But the great thing is we have a mechanism to make sure things get righted, and it's called you. (laughs) So when I say something blasphemous or wrong or heretical, I should be called out. You should tell me, hey, pastor, this is what it says in scripture, and then I should repent, because <laughs> I am obviously not perfect. I'm doing my best to try to, pr- to pronounce God's word rightly. We rightly divide God's word into law and gospel. Theologians now would transition into saying anyone who teaches anything opposed to essentially what's in the Bible. Now, we have overt examples of anti-Christian or anti-Christ movements. The Mormon Church, Jehovah's Witness, the Unitarians, go down the list of obviously heretical teachings of the faith, and they have drawn many along with them, and they have been deceived, and those leaders will be held to account. But what's more subversive, and this is what the devil does, like I said in Confession Absolution, he says, did God really say that? Did he really say, I mean, that's an awful thing that he said there. Did he really say that? Can't we say he meant something else? Can't we just be nicer about this? Come on, really? A place called hell, people are going there, really? Do we have to believe that? I mean, Jesus, great guy, right? Good teacher. But come on, a guy 2,000 years ago dies for the sins of the world? Do we really need that? His goal is just to move us a little less orthodox all the time. And we've seen many church bodies move into what we'd almost call heterodox churches. They pick and choose out of the Bible what they want to believe, teach, and confess. They take the culture and cram it into the Bible. We take the Bible and it speaks to us completely different way. Even if I don't like it, it's proclaiming to me what God wants to say. I don't get to tell God what he's going to say. Really un-American <laughs> that I would, somebody would tell me what's right and wrong. The answer is yes, God gets to, and it's in his word. Now this uh, mark of the beast you know, there's always these people have these conspiracy theories, right? You know, you're going to have a mark on your forearm or your forehead, and if you don't have this, you can't go buy stuff. I don't know. I'm getting to the point where I need a credit card all the time. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I would have got out of Mexico without one. Let's put it that way. But that mark in John's day, remember what it talked about that they would make inanimate things talk and they didn't bring fire down? That was a thing. There was a lot of witchcraft and demonic possession to deceive people, and people would believe it, and they would even mark themselves with tattoos to say they were part of that particular cult. We still have cults today. I don't think Satan uses those mechanisms so much because everybody can say, yeah, whatever, that's uh, you know, magic or whatever. So he always keeps hiding himself and trying to move in ways that we don't see him 
to deceive us. Now, have you ever heard of, uh, it's called gematria? Like you assign a number to a, I see a code breaker over there going, yeah. Uh, you assign a number to the letter, like A would be one, B would be, right? So if you took the Hebrew alphabet and you took Nero Caesar and you, give, you add up all Nero Caesar, you know what you get? 666. Now, when John wrote this, Nero had been dead for 20 years. People actually worshipped Nero as a god. This got to be a thing around, the, right before the time of Jesus, they started worshipping Caesars as gods. So Nero is both in a political and religious, he's like both beasts at the same time. He's coming from both angles. But John's writing this to say, this will keep happening. There will be false Christs, false things that people want to believe in. These are anti-Christian forces. The unholy trinity of the dragon, the beast of the sea, and the beast of the earth. Six, six, six. And we should call them out when we see them. Now you've called me and Luke to rightly proclaim God's word, deliver the sacraments in this office. And you are to admonish and correct us if we are wrong. And I appreciate that because in this congregation we have some excellent theologians who have taught me much. What I've learned, because I just got done taking a class and I made a huge mistake and I didn't cite something correctly and the professor called me out on it and he was completely correct. And I begged for forgiveness. <laughs> and he relented and gave me an A minus and I'm very happy. I know I'm rarely the smartest guy in the room. And being a pastor has really nothing to do with how well you can read the Bible. It is the office, it is the church that provides that, which is why when you spoke your forgiveness to me, it was just as valid as the other way. It is God's forgiveness that is delivered to the church. And this is the way we're gonna combat in 2023 the spiritual warfare. What do we do? We call it lies, we identify them, and we replace them with truth. How do we fight the earth? Not in earthly ways. We just say, you, yeah, you win. I can't stop that beast. But the spiritual one has already been won for us by Jesus on the cross. The mark of the beast is for those who aren't marked by Christ. You and all were all baptized. Just a few weeks ago, little Charlotte was baptized. They gave her a mark of the cross upon her forehead and upon her chest to mark her as one redeemed by Christ. That is the mark. That is the hidden mark that all you have on your hearts and on your foreheads, which is why when Satan sees you, he gets angry because you are marked and he can't do anything to attack you. He'll try through false teachers. He'll fall through the earth, but he knows he's lost the war, and he's angry, and he will wage war against the church until Christ's return. So this is why the church needs to be awake. We need to be vigilant. We need to identify this. And as we roll into a new year, not to put our hopes in the government 
or money or whatever thing we want to put our hope in. We put our hope in Jesus Christ because his sacrifice was more than sufficient. That blood-bought price for you and for me made us right with God. We are at peace forever with God. Peace from this world is fleeting. And I remember I was, I, we were talking about this with my kids. I'm preaching this quasi-sermon to them. And we got flight delayed. And you know what, first world problems. And um, I go, peace is, we had a great vacation. It was fun, right? We're by the ocean. It's great. But that's temporary. It's very fleeting. And people work so hard to find peace here and now but they're fighting a losing battle. I give up. I have nothing to compete against that beast called the earth or the sin or the authorities, but I have already won through Christ. And this is why when you're mourning your death of your loved one, or you're wondering where is God in this scenario, and why am I being put through this? Believe me, my mom and I have had this conversation a lot lately. I go, I don't know, Mom, but I do know that Christ has died for us and that he has not left us alone, that he is literally here with us right now, bearing through this, and his goal, as it says right in the middle of this chapter, it says 10, uh, 13b, 10b, it says, here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. That is my wish for all of you in 2023, that we would continue to persist and endure in the faith. Now this wonderful thing that we have through the church, you've all been written in that book, you've been bought by the blood of the lamb who was slain. Like I was telling the kids when they come up here, what'd they get for Christmas? And I said, you know what? You gave me the greatest gift ever. You gave me forgiveness. That's the best gift. So if you didn't get what you want for Christmas, it's okay. <laughs> but you already have everything you need and more in Christ. So let's together encourage each other, pursue and endure in the faith. This is only done by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in you and in me. And I'm so excited to see what he wants to do <laughs> through messed up people like you and me. Amen. Will you stand and pray with me? Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this gift of faith. I pray for this as we venture into a new year that we would put our hope in you and you alone. I do pray for, well, our enemies and our and the false teachers that are out there, that they would repent and believe and point people to you, that they would not be a mouthpiece of the evil one, that they would turn and be a mouthpiece to your gospel. So I pray for all of us that we'd be ambassadors of reconciliation to this world, that we would not fight against this earth, but know that we have a spiritual victory through your son Jesus. Amen. Receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Have a wonderful week.